This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Yeah! yeah. Uh. I'm a big seller. You know it. We can't wait to bake, hell yeah. Oh, come on. We're not talking Betty Crockett here. No, 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 no. By the way, come on. We're going to get rid of this weekend news update. Man, it is annoying for me and all of our dedicated listeners to hear the oldie moldy news. And the hell, anybody listen to these newscasts? It already happened. Hey, from now on, I'm doing the news. Management doesn't like it. Ownership doesn't like it. They can fire me. I will not be associated with the number one news talk station in the nation in which they're running news from like nine weeks ago. What is that, Frankie Diaz smoking blunts? What is he in a drug-induced psychosis, purple haze? Who clears this? Who listens to these newscasts, right? No, 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 I'm doing the news, okay? Just like I do in the overnights. Because this is crazy. We're the number one news talk station in the nation. People are listening because Curtis Lee got boots on the ground. He knows where all the bones are buried, who buried them. Nobody knows it better than me. I got my fingers on the pulse. And then I got to listen to a newscast to start off the show in which everybody goes, bye-bye. I can go listen to WINS, WCBS. I don't need to hang around. I'm nuts. Hey, anybody on the other side of this microphone? It's oldie moldy news. It's beneath the number one news talk station in the nation. Or just get, take off news. We just go, the number one oldie moldy news talk station in the nation. Come on. God. I can't believe that. That's like, what, two weeks ago? I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I got a riff. I got to make a fuss about this. You know, the hardest thing is to become number one, resurrected from the grave, from Davy Jones's locker by John and Margot Katsimatidis, owners and operators of Red Apple Media. And then you're number one. In order to stay number one, it's harder than to get to be number one. You ain't staying number one with that. So I'm going to war, like I always am. High noon, we'll have a shootout on the hill. Hey, where's our news director? No, Mladen, get his ass in here to do the news. What an insult. We got 59 news people here during the week, right? There's no room to move. On the weekends, we got Ugats. We got Ubats. We got Bupkis. Oh, by the way, obviously you can clearly see I was not smoking marijuana because you don't pop off like that when you're in a drug-induced psychosis. When all of a sudden you're lulled into a purple haze. And as you know, once a week I give you updates on the legalization of the recreational use of marijuana, which is like 
Guess what, guys? You better get on your high horse because there are these pop-up shops all over. In fact, one of our listeners said to me, that's why you can't miss the overnight show, the best uh, best of the other side of midnight, 12 midnight to 6, Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings. You can't miss it. I mean, you will have so many belly laughs. It is funny from beginning to end. It's, um, it's theater. It's theater of the mind. That's what this thing of ours is so good about. The content, it connects you intimately to everything we're talking about, which TV can't do, Twitter can't do, none of the social networking can do, the all-news cable shows can't do, because they just keep repeating the same old, same old, same old, same old moldy news. Not going to do that. Not going to do that. I got to give you the updates because... A guy tipped me off last night that there was a weed wagon rolling around the streets of New York City. Hey, Sheriff, you want to padlock it? Because he ain't paying taxes, that's for sure. Of course not. He's getting greased. Come on, understand this. This isn't a multi-billion dollar industry, the black market. And those that are out there selling, whether they're in pop-up stores illegally or they're in weed wagons illegally or they're selling from card tables illegally. You better believe a grease in the authorities. We have a sheriff in uh, New York City, not a law enforcement agency. They're revenuers. They collect money. They seize property. They uh, lock down property. They go out there and they grab mad cash. You know, $5 for you, a dollar for me. I've seen this happen again and again. Right when they're ready to tow away your car, right, and take it to the pound, all of a sudden, the exchange of dead presidents... Between the person whose uh, vehicle is on the hook and the sheriff who all of a sudden says, and what can you do for me today? Hmm, lettuce sandwich, escarole sandwich. It's like, it's everywhere. So a caller at about 3 o'clock in the morning as everybody was laughing their tuchus off. And by the way, it was a deserved laugh. You all deserve to have a good belly laugh. Guy calls up and he says, Curtis, there's a weed wagon working Midtown near Times Square, and it's got a freaking ATM machine on the back. I said, come on, come on, I've seen everything. Guess what I saw on my way to WABC today? The weed wagon with the ATM machine on the back. So you go there with your debit card, you take the money out, you go to the weed wagon, you buy all the marijuana products, the ancillary products, and guess what? We ain't seeing none of the tax dollars, not at the state level, not at the city level, and it's total mishigash in this state. We F everything up. We look at New Jersey, we always think we're better than New Jersey, we're better than anyone else. New Jersey had no cash bail two years before us. They've had almost minor problems as compared to the disaster we have. Why? Because they let judges in black regal robes make the final determination if the accused is a danger to themselves and everyone else. And then they remand them to jail, no bail. Very simple. Jersey's got it right. Once again, New York's got it wrong. And this was in the wake of Andrew Evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, omnipotent, we do it better. We're number one, second, and none. Oofa. And now it's the same thing with the legal, the legalization of the recreational use of marijuana. The black market is thriving. And they talk about how 
they're going to have delivery, home delivery from the licensed uh, dealerships. And the only way you can get a license, don't get excited here, young folks here, hipsters and millennials working at WABC, you want a side hustle? Nah, you had to be busted before for bringing in weight, bales of marijuana, not nickel and dime bags, sorry. Had to be weight. Now, how stupid is that? You're going to give a license to somebody who broke the law, went to jail, and you think that all of a sudden, hey, now we're going to do it legally. Don't worry about it. You can trust us. No, you can't. No, you can't. I'm going to take you from the black market where you're making money hand over fist. You're not paying taxes. You're ripping us off. And then suddenly I'm going to give you a license because you're a convicted felon and you're going to know better than anybody else. Sorry. But let's get right down to it because this is the issue of the day. And quite frankly, a lot of my colleagues here at WABC, they have no idea what's happening in the streets, what's happening with the pop-up stores. What's happening with the latest news that says there are hordes of illegal shops, correct? Some are selling tainted pot. Now, now, what do they mean by tainted pot, right? I've heard this before, tainted pot. That's right, you have to buy legal pot because it's not tainted. Everybody you've been buying pot from for years, all the illegal dealers, suddenly they're selling you a stash that's tainted. In fact, I could not believe... What they're putting out there for public consumption, it's sort of like out of reefer madness. They're claiming that if you buy illegal pot in the black market, it probably has deadly E. coli, salmonella, heavy metals, and pesticides in many products. (laughs) This is like the Tylenol scare, remember? Some loony kazuni out there in Chicago took Tylenol off the shelves, put in tainted Tylenol. A person or persons died. We never, they never quite figured it out. And then they figured out, okay, what we got to do is we're not changing the name. No, we're not changing the name. People like Tylenol. We're just going to make a, a safety provision on the canister so that you can't just go in and taint the product. And guess what? Voila. No more problems. But they figure fear, fright, hysteria, and hype. That's one way to drive you away from the black market. The individuals who have been providing you with marijuana since the 1970s, since the age of Aquarius, since Haight-Ashbury, since Woodstock 1969, a half a million strong, busting the move up the New York State Thruway in August, half a million people... Right there on the farm, Max's farm, right? And you remember that, right? And what were they doing? They were smoking ropes of dope. Back then, it was like ragweed. Didn't have anywhere near the THC. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. That was really stupid. They said if you go to the illegal pop-up stores, if you buy off the card tables where they're selling not only nickel and dime bags of marijuana, but cocaine, and they're selling ecstasy, they said the THC levels are more than twice what you'll ever get in a legal store. Now, people who smoke marijuana, well, yeah, double the amount of THC? Come on, right? Where are they? Let me know. I'll buy black market pot. Oh, man, these people so mismanaged it. So mismanaged it. And then they're claiming, and don't get the Goomy Bears, because, man, they're, like, loaded with THC. Well, that's what the customer wants. So instead of bringing them into the legal fold, where we at least benefit as a society, where we get tax dollars, where supposedly 
the uh, makeup of the marijuana product you're buying is not tainted, uh, don't do this. I mean, this is the worst possible sales pitch you can be making to try to convince people they should buy it legally because you don't have any shops to buy it legally yet. You've been a dollar short and a joint and a blunt late. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Ask 1-800-848-WABC. In fact, let's go to the audio tape. Very important here because it's almost like we have to go through uh, historical references. Back in the 30s and 40s, yeah, people were smoking marijuana. Not as openly, obviously, as they are now. And not in as anywhere near the numbers. You had the beatniks, you had the poets, you had coffee shops. You know, like they have in Amsterdam. They're celebrating today. Yay, we beat USA. I'm applauding them. Thank God. They knocked us out because this is not a soccer nation. Thank God. Yay, yay. Because in Amsterdam today in Rotterdam, they're at their coffee shops. They're smoking ropes of dope. They're having hash brownies. They got their wooden shoes on. They're smelling the tulips. And they're looking at the windmills. They, that's their sport. Even high in a purple haze, they can beat the United States as best. Okay, I got that out of my system. The rest of you is, oh, we lost. It's sitting shiver here. Oh, United. And you'll forget all about it until the next World Cup. You won't even be involved with soccer until the next World Cup. It's trendy. It's hip. It's happening. And then once they lose, you drop them like a bad habit. Or a wife or a husband that's giving you a migraine headache. I know it's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But let's go back to the classic film, Reefer Madness. It was spread throughout the United States by our government. There was concern that people smoking marijuana would suddenly become communists and socialists, destabilize families, turn them into dysfunctional cauldrons of ineptitude, of decadence and debauchery, who would be fornicating... And copulating 24-7-365. I, I don't know if any of you have ever seen Reefer Madness. But I know a lot of people smoked a joint, watched it, and just kept laughing, 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 laughing. These high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they dance. Innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana. The burning weed with its roots in hell. In this film, you will see the ease with which this vicious plant can be grown in your neighbor's yard, rolled into harmless-looking cigarettes, hidden in an innocent shoe or watch case. In this startling film, you will see dopesters lure children to destruction. We're going over to Joe's place. Why don't you come along? We have a date to play a set of doubles. Oh, you can play anytime. Come on, we'll have some laughs. Can I go along with you? Sure. Hey, I'll see you at dinner, sis. If you want a good smoke, try one of these. You will meet Bill, who once took pride in his strong will as he takes the first step toward enslavement. Of course, if you're afraid. Smoking the soul-destroying reefer, they find a moment's pleasure but at a terrible price. Debauchery, violence, murder, suicide. And the ultimate end of the marijuana addict. Hopeless insanity. 
this important film now before it is too late. Before it is too late. The idea was to plant fear, fright, hysteria, and hype into the general population. In fact, I remember in Talkback, there was a great radio broadcaster, a mentor of mine, George Putnam in Talkback, KIEV in Los Angeles, and he had a weekly show on Sunday nights on the local uh, Metro Media affiliate. It was called Talkback. And I never forget, I said, George, George, when you, I, I looked at one of the old shows. We were in the Brown Derby at that time in Hollywood. And I said, George, you said that if guys smoke marijuana on a regular basis, they're going to grow female breasts. I said, you can't be, you can't be joking. He said, I'm not joking. I said, how would you know, George? Well, that's what the government told us, that men who would be smoking marijuana will grow female breasts. And I couldn't shake the guy. I couldn't get him the belly laugh. He was serious as a heart attack. He truly believed that if you smoked marijuana, you would grow female breasts. And then, of course, in advance of the crackdown on marijuana by Richard Nixon in 1968, when he came back from the dead, resurrected, you won't have me to kick around any longer. Well, he came back, he won the Republican nomination and beat Hubert H. Humphrey and George Wallace in the election. And he immediately sent brand new DEA agents to spray the fields in Mexico so that there would be no more Acapulco gold and Michoacan and other marijuana products, tainting the product, right, with deadly pesticides so that if it did not die in the fields, you might have ended up smoking it like Chi Chin Chong did in so many of their films. So the government decided that they had to get more hip, more happening they created the D.A.R.E. program in schools where you had, uh, you had a local police officer who was involved in intervention and narcotics come in. And then McGruff, the crime-fighting dog. It was in almost every public school. And they had PSAs that were coming out of the federal government. In fact, in which they said, if you were to smoke marijuana, this is what would happen to your brain on drugs. Is there anyone out there who still isn't clear about what doing drugs does? Okay, last time. This is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Friday. Any questions? Now, do you think that frightened people away from using marijuana? Yes, some it did. But some who had already used the product uh, became disciples of reefer and went out there and said, hey, look, you know me. I've been smoking reefer for 10 years, and my brain is not like a fried egg. In fact, if you go to the um, founders of Apple, Man, you used to go into their office in Palo Alto, Silicon Valley, and it would be a purple haze. Some of the most successful people in business, especially the newfound businesses, would actually offer you joints, would offer you a hit on the pipe, uh, would work in what was an atrium of homegrown products. And so people began to start deciphering for themselves. Who are the experts? Who are not the experts? Is this a matter of generational difference between my generation, the baby boomers, the hipsters and millennials, Generation X, Y, or Z. 
But clearly, people need information because it's everywhere now. It's everywhere in the illegal market. Soon, in addition, there'll be a legal market. And our city and our state will be flush with marijuana, all the different gradations, all the different ancillary products. It'll be everywhere. I want to take you to a recent program that was done on Sundays, every Sunday, 10 to 11. It's Dr. Maria and it's Rudy Giuliani, right before Judge Janine Pirro. And they were talking about this very subject, because most, most of our hosts and hostesses here, they don't touch this, because they don't understand it, or they feel it's not pertinent or relative. Well, it is, because poll after poll indicates that not only Democrats, liberals, and progressives are in favor of the legalization of the recreational use of uh, marijuana, but so are Republicans and conservatives, many of them libertarian in terms of their values, because, as you know, libertarians lean right. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Here's Michael Mbaricic, Rudy Giuliani, recently speaking. uh, Well, actually, he was speaking with Dr. Maria at that time for their audience on Sundays at 10. And they delved into the whole topic of marijuana, its usage everywhere now amongst the young, the middle-aged, the old, for medicinal purposes, but mostly now for recreational use. There's a lot of new studies out. There is um, something called marijuana-induced anxiety, marijuana-induced psychosis that we're seeing a lot in the emergency departments. But today I want to talk about a peer-reviewed study that was done in Ottawa, Canada, in some hospitals there in their affiliates. And it started in 2005, and it went to, say, 2020, July of 2020. That's long. It's a long study. So when you look at research studies, we have to look at the number of participants, the way they do the study, and there are some limitations in this study that I'll get into. And she went on and on and was very detailed, very nuanced, and I really appreciated that Dr. Maria exposed the good, the bad, the ugly. We don't do enough of that. We don't have town hall meetings. There is no discussion of it. It's a slam dunk now. There will be the legalization of recreational marijuana, and it will be sold by felons who were pinched for sales of marijuana in the past in towns, villages, boroughs, from Buffalo to Brooklyn that have agreed to have the dispensaries in their neighborhoods. Now, the benefit is if you've chosen to have a dispensary in your neighborhood, you're going to get a slice of the tax dollars. The state gets the most money, and then if you've been been good enough uh, to the state's liking to actually house a dispensary, you're going to get a piece of the action. If not, you're going to get crumbs. You know, there are a lot of towns, villages, boroughs, uh, counties that have basically taken the attitude, uh, we understand we're in favor of the legalization of the recreational use of marijuana, but we don't want it sold in our communities. We'll go to a nearby county. We'll go to a nearby v- village, borough, or township. We'll purchase it there. Let them keep the tax dollars. We'll just benefit in the fact that our residents, our constituents, our consumers have a place where they can buy illegally and they're not buying it in the black market because every every community, whether you live out in the farms, the rural areas, the suburban areas, uh, the urban inner city areas, it's everywhere. All you got to do is smell, right? Use your schnoz. You can smell it everywhere. People smoking joints, spliffs, people smoking blunts, people vaping all over the place. 
It's being sold illegally hand over fist. We're not making any money from the taxes. And our officials have been slow to implement any of the disciplines, the structure that is necessary to make sure that because marijuana can be sold legally for recreational use, uh, we'll try the best we can to keep it out of those who are under the age of consent. And that's going to be a difficult thing to do, just like keeping liquor uh, out of out of their hands was a difficult thing to do. Tobacco, uh, vaping products of tobacco, uh, just as that was a difficult thing to do. But it's something that has to be done. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So the hipsters and millennials, Generation X, Z, and Y, they're reading the headlines this week that says a Grubhub, and other food delivery services will now be delivering marijuana door-to-door. So from the legal dispensary, wherever that might be, you can actually call in an order, and you can have it delivered to your doorstep, your place of business. Obviously, the the guy or the gal who's delivering it to you on those e-bikes, he or she is going to get a piece of the action. Obviously, the dispensary, the owners and operators get a piece of the action. The state... And the local municipalities get a piece of the action. The problem is, is that if you own the license, you own the dispensary, you cannot take the money you make. It's a cash and carry business and put it into a bank because the federal government still indicates that it's an illegal product. It's a stage one drug considered an extreme danger to one's health. So you can imagine you got guys hanging out of these dispensaries morning, noon and night. And what they're doing is they're bird-dogging the way they would if you were selling nickels and dime bags on the corner. They're watching how how many people go in. They're clocking them. They realize there's a lot of loot changing hands in there. And they know that the owners and operators can't bank the money, can't go to Bank of America, can't go to Chase, can't go to Citibank, can't put the money there. They got to bring the money back to their home, stuff it in the mattresses. And I have noticed an increasing number of home invasions. Uh, that are directed at the very people who have gotten the licenses around the country, California, Colorado, to be specific, who then all of a sudden lose all the loot because guys come in with guns blazing. They let you do all the work, and then they come in and they steal your loot. And you would think the federal government would say, it's legal in so many states. We got to let them bank it for the safety of everybody in any community around the country that has decided to legalize it. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. So I was talking to a lady 
who is working uh, for the New Czar Arena, who's been appointed in the city of New York, African-American woman, very young, to oversee the granting of licenses. They can only go to uh, convicted felons who uh, were caught selling large amounts of marijuana. We're not talking about nickel and dime bags. It's got to be weight. It's got to be bail. And this uh, woman was telling me, oh, yeah, we're, we're eventually going to have Grubhub. We're going to have delivery service in the neighborhoods where it's sold. And I said, hey, 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 lady, hey, lady. This was done back in the 80s. You're not inventing anything. This was done openly. This was done in front of the police of the 9th Precinct and the Lower East Side. I know I live right there on Avenue A, St. Mark's Place. It was a corrupt enterprise because the cops got greased. And the Pope of Greenwich Village not only sold massive amounts of marijuana, but he had a delivery service. Give you a little bit of background. This was back in the 80s in Greenwich Village. So the first time I met Nikki, I think I went down there with like a half pound of chocolate tie. He definitely wasn't a gangster or looked anywhere near a gangster type character. He was tall. He was balding. He was older. I remember he was wearing high waters. His socks pulled up. Mickey being Mickey, and as ballsy as he was, he had gotten a phone number that was 1-800-WANT-POP. Here's how it worked. A customer would just pick up the phone and dial 1-800-WANT-POP. And it would almost like a bookie place. There'd be like maybe four or five people in here on telephones, and everybody's taking calls. They would pick up the phone. They would take the delivery amount, the address, jump on a bicycle, and drive to the address. This was in the 80s, done openly, the Pope of Greenwich Village. People would call from pay phones, if you could find any that were working. Nobody had cell phones. Nobody had burner phones, Motorola burner phones back then. This is a tall, geeky Jewish guy wearing high waters, happened to be gay, who would just position himself right in the middle of Tompkins Square Park and all the hipster, well, not the hipsters, excuse me, the hippies, the burned out hippies and others who wanted to come down to St. Mark's Place and experience purchasing marijuana would come to him and he would hook him up. And there was more to it, more to it, more to and it. He also had this idea that you could buy chips from him, well, you'd be in a moneyless society in a way. So if you buy this chip, it's 100 bucks, and what you would do to, in order to get your pot, you'd give the chip, and that would be it. I mean, there were times when he was making $30,000 a weekend. His vision and his ambition opened up the kind of clientele that he could sell to. And the reality is, everybody smokes pot. Back then, in the Lower East Side, a lot of people smoked pot. Openly, brazenly, in defiance of the law. And the cops at the Ninth Precinct were bribed. Probably put their kids through college with that bribe money. Never mind all the other drugs that were being sold openly. The P-Dope guy... As people would line up for their heroin, uh, they'd be basing in uh, blown-out buildings, abandoned buildings from Avenues D to Avenue A, which was called the Alphabet Jungle. And if you notice, you heard what the guy said. He'd give you a coin. This is before cryptocurrency. This is before bitcoins. You get a coin it was worth $100 towards the purchase of marijuana, so that if you got cold busted by a cop who wasn't on the take from the ninth precinct, all they'd get are coins. They wouldn't get any cash. And all of that was being done in the 80s. And they're acting like, oh, yeah. So I told this young lady from East New York, please, you weren't birthed at that time. You weren't aware. But there were delivery services in many neighborhoods in the city 
in which pot was being not only sold but distributed. There were fake bodegas. You would walk up to a store. It would have a box of sugar-frosted flakes in the window, maybe two bars of ivory soap. You'd look inside. There was nothing on the shelves. It was nothing but a front for a reefer house. And they operated openly. And a lot of the cops in that neighborhood figured there's nothing you could do about it. Hey, I might as well benefit from this. And they were on the take. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's Kathy calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Kathy. Yes, hi. I live in New Jersey. I don't know if you want to know the name of the town, but we are fighting. They are putting a dispensary. They are rezoning the area to get the dispensing in, and it is within a block of two schools. Now, Kathy, question. What town is it, please? Boonton, New Jersey. B-O-O-N-T-O-N. Okay. Who who signaled uh, to the marijuana um, committee in Trenton that Boonton would be open to having a dispensary in the town. Uh, who signaled to the cannabis control board in Trenton that it would be okay? I assume it's one of the people in the town in order to get some of the tax money, the money, the benefits. I don't know for sure, um, but we're going. There's a major meeting happening um, a, a week from Monday where the, most of the people in the town are going to protest. Whether it's going to do anything, I don't know. But we are, I mean, I have two grandkids that live within, uh, you know, uh, two blocks of the area. Um, it's, it's amazing. I can't believe they're doing this. Well, I understand that. But, for instance, let's say uh, you're able to block the continued uh, operation of the Boonton uh, dispensary with a state license to sell medical marijuana, and the uh, recreational uh, use of marijuana. Um, Would you object if other towns in the state of uh, New Jersey agreed to do it for the tax dollars? I don't think it makes sense for anybody. It's not good for anybody. But I have a personal interest in my town. So, But if people aren't going to get it in my town, they'll go somewhere else. But I don't want it this close. Understood. Understood. Not in my backyard. This is the prevailing thought pattern of people, even those that voted in the initiative and referendum in New Jersey, uh, to allow for the legalization uh, of the recreational use of marijuana. Uh, Poll after poll indicates, not just in New York, not just in uh, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, where it's already been uh, legal for quite some time, and people from New York cut, cut across the border to purchase, lines go around the block, or Pennsylvania, Um, people uh, want the legal use of recreational use of marijuana. And it's not just limited to the hipsters and millennials and Generation X, Y, and Z, the younger generations. It's even predominant amongst the baby boomers. So it's here to stay, but you got to figure out a way that they can operate and not be a detriment to the community. And that's the High Wire Act. That's like the Walenda Act that everyone has to take because unless you could all of a sudden start another initiative and referendum, which in Jersey is possible, they, they don't, it barely permitted in New York State. Just like we don't have recall, we barely have initiative and referendum. Jersey has recall, that's good, and they have initiative and referendums. Just because an initiative and referendum was passed legalizing the, uh, uh, in this case, the recreational use of marijuana, doesn't mean you can't have another 
initiative and referendum that would undo that. They do that in California and Arizona all the time. I am a big believer in initiative and referendums. Take it out of the hands of uh, the uh, politicians who control everything, those in elected uh, position, and the lobbyists. Although the lobbyists are still going to edge their way in because they're going to want to fund one side or the other side, depending on who's paying them as the lobbyists. Let's go, if we can, to Pamela, who's also calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pam. Yeah, just that last caller uh, makes uh, New Jerseyans have to realize their vote has an effect. They constantly vote the same way all the time and wonder why it's happening. But anyway, um, don't you find it hypocritical? The government uh, destroyed the tobacco industry in the South, devastated farmers. And in trade now, they're doing uh, pot. And now the air, you know, supposedly the smoke is bad for your lungs. And marijuana smoke is bad for your lungs, too. And uh, so they traded it in for pot so they can get money, money. The politicians can get money. Pretty pathetic. I mean, they well, let, let, let's, let's look at this. You're absolutely right. For a long time, tobacco was actually thought to be medicinal, Pamela. We go way back to the 40s and 50s. You'd see Joe DiMaggio, as great as he was, the Yankee Clipper, he'd be sitting in the dugout smoking cigarettes with the permission uh, of ownership and management. A lot of ballplayers did it then. And then they would do commercials, whether it was for Chesterfield, Camel, um, L&M, Viceroy, whatever the brand. And they would say, this helps. You know, this, this gives me energy. I get out into the diamond and I'm actually able to play nine innings, go extra innings. It was all lies, all lies. And then all of a sudden, the health ramifications were so severe. So many people were in the ICU, the ER, with horrific, horrific after effects that I feel that eventually that may well be the case once so many people are smoking marijuana, which, uh, again, anytime you're smoking, taking any smoke into your lungs that isn't vapors, you know, like uh, you would take if you had a respiratory problem, and notice all the respiratory problems of late in 48 states around the country. Is this the result of the vaccine, you know, that we uh, that so many people were being told they had to take uh, for coronavirus, for COVID-19? Is it the result of people smoking cigarettes? Is it the result of more people inhaling smoke from marijuana? All of these questions need to be addressed. But you're right, Pamela. There's a rush. Let's just get the cash. Let's get the loot. You're right. It's, it's, it's hypocritical. It's it's disgusting. Question, I mean, I, uh, I mean, Pam, what uh, town do you live in in New Jersey? Uh, Clifton. Okay. Uh, so many towns have had this because New Jersey is so far ahead of us in the way they've structured their legalization of uh, the recreational use of marijuana. Uh, and they have it down to a formula. I think they've got about 28 towns now, villages and boroughs. But again... It doesn't mean it has to stay that way. You know, people can form if you're really opposed, if you really don't want it in your town, your village, your borough, you have to organize. But it'd be very difficult now to roll it back as a legalized uh, product in the state of New Jersey. In fact, there'd probably be other towns, villages, communities, municipalities that would be more than happy to have that dispensary because of the percentage, the cut of the tax dollars. Again, the way it works... The state receives the bulk of the tax dollars. 
The next in the pecking order are those towns, villages, boroughs, municipalities that allow a dispensary in their boundaries. They get a much bigger cut than a town, village, borough, or municipality that has already agreed that we don't want any dispensary within our borders. And that's the way it should be. That That's fair and square. But there's no way you're going to roll it back. Uh, I got to tell you, it's everywhere. It is everywhere. And it's not just the young generation. There are so many people who came out of the 60s and 70s who were smoking ragweed. You look at the lines going to the dispensaries where it's legal in New Jersey, in Massachusetts, in Colorado, in California. There are ramifications as a result of legal use. But there are a hell of a lot of baby boomers, 55 plus, a hell of a lot of baby boomers online to get their, their supply and their ancillary products. 1-800-848-9222. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Purple Haze, Jimi Hendrix, he uh, flipped the script, left his plane in the 60s, as did Jim Morrison, as did Janis Joplin. Hers was Southern Comfort. Jim Morrison, I think the psychedelic uh, shack, that was his attack. But with Hendrix, in addition to all the other drugs he ingested, man, he was surrounded with a Purple Haze, as so many performers were, whether you went to the old Fillmore in the east, the Lower East Side, or you went to the Fillmore in the west near Haight-Ashbury, downtown uh, San Francisco. It was just part of that culture that said, never trust anybody over 30, peace, love, and happiness, more drugs, more sex, more fornication, more debauchery, and no war. That was the message. In fact, the Purple Haze, that was one of numerous strains of marijuana, had a really high THC content, meant it would get you stoned to your bone. And the way you knew it, amongst the many marijuana products that were being grown in the, uh, actually, the federal forests uh, in the, uh, the Triangle up in Northern California, uh, was the color of the leaves, purple, violet. They would say, oh, well, that's Purple Haze. I want that product. This is all when it was illegal. You could imagine what it's like now that in many places it's legal. And again, the biggest problem is you have this uh, industry that's going to be making billions and billions of dollars, like casinos, except when you're an owner and operator of a casino, let's say Caesars or Tropicana, you can bank your money in a bank. If you're an owner of a uh, marijuana dispensary, the federal government still considers it an illegal product through the DEA. You are not permitted to bank the proceeds. 
from the sale, the distribution of marijuana, even where the state has legalized it and you have a license to sell. Imagine how much crime that opens you up to. <laughs> you're carrying that money home at night. Let's say you're the owner and operator. Man, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to travel with an armed posse, guys who got shotguns, AK-47s, <laughs> because man, people are gonna be looking to looking to rob you on the way home and looking to do home invasions, and it's already happening. That has to be ironed out. That's that's like unfair to everybody in the process. And in a lot of those dispensaries, you see it, cash only. No debit cards, no credit cards, and no Bitcoin. We'll be talking uh, about the Bitcoin bandits, many of them who are smokers, the cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers, and the blockchain criminals in the next hour. Led by a guy that I've told you you can never trust because he has three names. For FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried, who clearly, according to uh, those members of his own polyamorous commune in the Bahamas, all of them graduates of MIT, they love to smoke dope, drop Adderall, which is the legal equivalent of amphetamines, and rip you off morning, noon, and night by convincing you to invest in what he called Sam coins, which have now turned out to be scam coins. That's up. Let's go to David, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, David. Hey, Curtis. How you doing? I've had better days. Yeah. So I grew up actually in Detroit where marijuana be years ago. Yes. And most of the people that are doing weed legally, they're not making any money besides a couple of dispensaries. So you got all these grow places that grow state-licensed weed, and they sell it in the black market in order to break even or to even make money. Because the taxes kill people, and, and why would you – you could drive around with a whole bunch of weed. The cops don't do anything to you, so a lot of people just drive around and deliver weed, and people don't go to dispensaries unless it's the hipsters or something like that. No, no, no. You're absolutely correct, and in fact, that's part of the provision in that the marijuana product you uh, sell uh, in New York must be grown in New York, likewise in New Jersey. That's always the provisions. And let's face it, that may not be the strain – that the customer wants. They may say, I don't want homegrown in New York State. Come on. I don't want homegrown in New Jersey. I don't want it even if it was grown in somebody's basement, you know, under the conditions of hydroponics, where you could create the THC content you were looking for. So, again, that's why a lot of people go to black market because, A, they have their dealers. The other thing, David, is the dealer will extend your credit like a bookie, in an illegal gambling operation, you know, the state, when they legalize gambling, they don't extend your credit. But a dealer in the black market, in order to try to keep your business, will say, you got a credit line here, $1,000 a month, $5,000 a month. Don't worry about it. Anything to keep the business. So it's actually strengthened the black market because what has it done, David? It's created competition. I think yeah. they- that's true as well. However, like I have a lot of friends who got legal licenses, sold their other businesses in order to get into the weed business, and they're not making any money because the taxes kill you. And you do have to grow weed in the state that you basically get the license from in order to sell it. So a lot of places from California, because they've been 20 years ago doing this, they come in and open up under somebody's license. And I tried to get one in New York, but because in New York it's so crooked, you have to be a criminal to get one. It's impossible to get one. That's true. And by the way, David, you can imagine in Detroit – 
in the neighborhoods where they have given you a license to deal the recreational use of marijuana legally, you can't put it in a bank. So there's so much crime. I'm, if, if I'm a criminal, right, and if I'm a stick-up kid, I got a bunch of my homeboys, and I'm going to watch you, David, open up your store in the morning. I'm going to watch you leave at night with the loot in a bag because you can't, you can't have a Brinks truck pick it up. They can't put it in a bank. And I'm going to stick you up maybe on your way to the parking lot or follow you on the freeway, you know, and then all of a sudden force you off the road or do a home invasion once I see what suburb you live in and what house you drive up to. Yeah, so that's happening. But I'm going to tell you something you're going to love in Detroit. So in Detroit City itself, it's illegal to have recreational dispensaries, right? So you can only do medical. And all these medical businesses are going out of business because in the suburbs, you have all these recreational places that people go to and they feel safer because of the police. However, some black guys opened up a bunch of little weed stores in Detroit illegally. Cops know that they're selling weed illegally, but because they're black, they're not being raided. That's the greatest thing about Detroit. Oh, and it's not just Detroit. It's New York City. By the way, in a future program, I'm going to tell you why Detroit became the epicenter of anti-Semitism. You know, it was the anniversary this uh, past week of the invention of the Model T in Highland Park, a city within a city, one square mile long by Henry Ford, virulent anti-Semite. Father Coughlin, who is a little flower parish, would do national broadcasts on radio with the blessing of the Vatican, virulent anti-Semite. And then, of course, Elijah Muhammad, who created the Nation of Islam, that led to uh, Scooey Louis Farrakhan and his anti-Semitism, was a line worker at a Ford assembly plant who basically organized around hating white people, crackers, and hating Jews even more than just white people. Anyway, let's go, if we can, to... Uh, let's go to uh, Diane, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Diane. Hi, I have a few points to make. First of all, uh, fentanyl is being uh, put into a lot of marijuana that's being sold. Not the legal one, but, you know, oh, yeah, that's very big. Also, you get you still get tar in your lungs when you smoke pot, just like tobacco, you know, and some other chemicals that are really bad. Um, and the uh, psychosis they're talking about is because there's much, much more THC put in some pot. It's not like the stuff everybody used to smoke in the 60s. And as far as that goes, do you notice that um, the smell is not like it used to be? It used to be kind of very sweet. You could smell it right away. But now it smells like skunk. <laughs> so you, what you're saying is it's very pungent. Pungent. Let's go to Rick, who's calling from Elmwood Park. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rick. TV. Pot is a good thing for you because it keeps your mind open and you can see through things like the hole in the ozone scam and the global warming scam. So you smoke ropes of dope? Yep. All right. And so as a result of smoking marijuana on a regular basis, you know now that the hole in the ozone layer high above Mother Earth. That's just made up nonsense, and global warming and climate change is specious, non-existent, because you smoke pot. That's not what I said. Climate change is real. Man-made climate change, which is actually not the hypothesis. The hypothesis is CO2-caused catastrophic 
anthropogenic global warming. Well, let me uh, let me ask you this uh, question, that's Rick. If all of a sudden you're blazing your chronic out there, and that's smoke, that's heat, and it's rising up in the atmosphere, does pot smoke end up eating up the ozone layer? Or is it just VO5 hairspray that always used to be used by women going to the malls, mall hair, or the DJs, all that uh, disco there in Belmar where all the Bennies uh, go to from Staten Island, where women would use so much VO5 to have that beehive look that when they would get into fights and they would grab a glass and they would go to smash the glass into the, the head of the other female who also had been using VO5 hairspray, that sticky stuff, their hands would get stuck in each other's hair. And that would contribute to the depletion of ozone layer. I think Rick in Elmwood Park, I think he's been blazing too much. I really do. I wonder what strain of marijuana he has been smoking. Anyway, uh, let's go to Pat, who's calling from Bronxville. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pat. I was listening to you all last night. I never laughed so much in all my life. You were marvelous. Last night. Well, Pat, is, Pat, is your uh, wife just going to be on tonight. Of course, the Animal Welfare Hour, the most listened to, most called in of the many segments right. I do, what eleven and twelve. But understand this, Pat: what wow. I do Saturday mornings, twelve to six, till the break of dawn, and Sunday mornings, twelve to six, is yeah. entertainment. It's meant to get you to laugh. You don't need to hear any more politics. Well, I was hysterical. I, I here I'm laying in bed. But I, and I, I, I want to go to sleep, and I said, I'm not going to. And I, I was hysterical. Well, remember. You have a phenomenal show. You really do. And you you never went to college? Never. I got kicked out of high school by the Jesuits at Brooklyn Prep, got, 1972. Where you, got, you remember things, and you know things, and you're so intelligent. I'm not saying that's just a boost you or anything, but you are. Well, you know where that comes from, Pat. Let's be honest. It's in the DNA. That was my father, Chester. He had a Xerox machine in his medulla and cerebellum. Man, he could remember everything. So I had to keep up with my dad, a merchant seaman, 54 years, eight months of the year he shipped out, four months he was home, 24-7-365. And then we'd be kicking knowledge back and forth. Wait, 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 that's the five percenters. Wrong terminology. Anyway, up next, cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers continue their operations. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC.
So good. Man, I'm son such a roll this weekend. I uh, rooted for the Netherlands to destroy the United States on the pitch there in Qatar. Because, no, uh, no, 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 I don't want to hear this. Oh, yeah, it's going to become a mainstream sport in America. Never, never has, never will. In fact, people who think so must be smoking ropes of dope. So I applauded the Netherlands. That's their sport, right? And believe me, if you've ever been to Amsterdam and Rotterdam in Holland like I've been, go to those coffee houses. They smoke ropes of dope. They have hash brownies. And they probably had all of that in preparation to beat the United States on the pitch. So, yeah, all you fake, phony, fraudulent soccer fans, you'll go back to understanding that Smash Mouth American football, that's our sport. Baseball, although it's slow, it's too predictable. And NBA basketball, that's American. But anyway, what became American, what became global, was the crypto cryptocurrency Ponzi schemes. They were taking place all over the globe, all over America, mostly offshore. In the Bahamas by FTX. By a guy, I'm telling you, whenever you come across a name, three names, Sam Bankman Freed, you cannot in any way, shape, or form trust that person. And he should have been trusted. But all these, um, all these uh, Bitcoin bandits... Their businesses are imploding. The cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers, their businesses are becoming unglued. And the blockchain exchanges are proving to have been nothing more than a new creation of the Wizard of Oz. Barking, praising one another, claiming it is going to be the new world currency. It would replace the dollar, the yen, the dinar, the euro. This is uh, the currency of a new generation, not it's just a continuation of Ponzi schemes that have been part of uh, our history. B.C., before Christ, if you actually study Ponzi schemes, yeah. So Bernie Madoff, for the old geezers, please, Bernie, invest my money. No, 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 it's a premium here. Oh, oh, oh Sam Bankman freed. Looks like a 15-year-old kid who fell out of a punk bed at summer camp in a drug-induced psychosis, scratching his belly, feeling uh, his manhood through his Sam coins, which have now become scam coins. This thief, this white-collar criminal, now claims he has only $100,000. That's it. $32 billion. Poof. Gone. And how many of you, you, you invested, you thought you're whales, you're so smart, you're just greedy. You're just a white-collar criminal yourselves, like so many before you. When uh, the stock market imploded 2008, right, subprime mortgage, everybody knew, give it four or five years, it would implode. Democrats, Republicans profited, they put their beak in the trough. Lehman Brothers went down, and then who the freak bailed them out, those criminals? Not one of them went to jail. Us, the taxpayers. Enron, similar. And no one party is to blame for this. Enron, it was Republicans. Now it looks like FTX is Democrats, right? And nobody wants to arrest this guy who just basically looted $32 billion and is being protected by the crooked Bahamian government that has been crooked for all times. That's why so many businesses want to establish their offshore because they're not accountable. 
So let's wind back the clock. And we don't even have to wind it back that long. Six months. Six months, this guy was the golden calf. He could do no wrong. Everybody was queued up wanting to interview him. He could have said, you got to swim across Davy Jones's locker between Bermuda and the Bahamas in order to interview me, and they would have done it. Like this schmuck, this putz from MSNBC who engaged in a form of idolatry when FTX was riding high in the saddle through Sam Bankman-Fried. How did you do this so quickly? I mean, your company is two years old, and you're doing something like $400 billion worth of volume per month, which is 25 times what you did a year ago. How did you get the uptake uh, at scale so fast? You know, it, it was really just a lot of small things put together, a lot of decisions that we've made around how to build the product, trying to be as responsive as we can to customers, to regulators, to counterparties. And, you know, uh, you know, honestly, from our perspective, it's it sometimes feels like the world is just going sort of in slow motion around us and that we're going at, you know, about an average speed by our standards. Can anybody uh, vet out Sam Bankman-Fried? No. They would have found out he was birthed by two professors at Stanford University. His father, who became the head of his philanthropic outreach in Silicon Valley, a product of Silicon Valley, went to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and with 10 of his fellow graduates, men and women, they set up a compound in the Bahamas with all the tax shields and protection from Interpol, the FBI, and other law enforcement agencies, and they went to work robbing your money. And in the midst, what were they doing? They were a polyamorous society. That's right, having sex with frogs, trees, one another, hanging upside down 24-7, 365. Tapping the Adderall, which is the legal form of amphetamines, and I mean just bilking you morning, noon, and night, working the phones like those guys who grew up uh, in Bensonhurst, would be in a basement and they'd be calling you up because they knew you were a degenerate gambler, an investor on Wall Street, and they'd say, man, I got a penny stock now, invest on it now, and they would pump and dump, pump and dump. And how many people listening right now got involved in those schemes, figuring I'll know exactly when to pull out, make my money, make 10 times my investment, and then just watch the whole scheme implode? This was even more advanced. So who participated in this? Why isn't everybody focused on what is probably going to turn out to be the biggest white-collar crime in history? It was actually Red China. Through TikTok and through Binance, they had funded a guy named Xiao. You have Emperor Xi, uh, Emperor for Life in Red China, and he had financed Xiao, young uh, Chinese guy with gazillions and gazillions of dollars to set up the number two Ponzi scamming Bitcoin operation, Binance, through Bitcoin. And listen to Zhao, who had been the initial investor into FTX. They were like two peas in a pot, a soup and a sandwich, a horse in a carriage. There was Xi, and there was his very dear friend, Sam Bankman-Fried. But listen to his reaction when he was asked about the implosion of FTX. On a very personal basis, how you think about Sam, and the reason I ask is I think at some point, obviously, you were friends, you were his original investor in all of this. Can you fathom that he lied to you like this, if that's the case? 
Yeah, so I'm very shocked that I, I I obviously did not know him until about a week or so ago. Liar. Um, so I'm I'm just shocked. Um, I'm I'm shocked that you know he lied to everybody. You didn't know him till a week ago. <laughs> I didn't know what kind of person. I didn't know that he lied to everybody until a week a week ago. That's the number one Bitcoin, the number two Bitcoin bandit in the world, right? He didn't know the guy yet. He invested his money in FTX through the nefarious efforts of the Emperor for Life. G in red China. Oh, they follow the dots. You know, we haven't talked about it enough here at WABC, just on the periphery. Uh, although our owner-operator, John Casamitidis, has done an excellent job in his roundtable discussion, he has consistently spoken about this on a regular basis. In fact, uh, I've enjoyed many of the interviews he's had with Charlie Gasmarino of the Fox uh, Business Channel and obviously who writes for the New York Post. Because they're insightful. They get right down to the heart of it that crypto is not smart money and big traders fell for Sam Bankman Freed. They didn't fall for Sam Bankman Freed. They fell for greed. It was too good to be true. Our number is 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. A million investors got taken by FTX, many of them whales. Many of them who don't want their institutional investments to be known. Retail investors have fled cryptocurrency, the Ponzi scheme, and Bitcoin bandits, and blockchain criminals. And they've been asking, what do we tell our peeps? I mean, we were the ones pumping this. We were the ones uh, on CNBC, uh, on the Fox Business Channel, talking about the glory of crypto. And then just the other day, the New York Times, the old gray lady, had the chutzpah, the onions, the weibos to bring this criminal who should be in chains and shackles, should be brought back to the United States. And yet he's not. And I'll tell you why they may delay, because he's greased a lot of politicians, mostly Democrats, but a lot of Republicans also with what they call dark money. Uh, investing in packs where your name, your identity remains anonymous, and you can just pump in millions and millions of dollars. That dark, dark money scheme has got to, got to be stopped. And he's saying it now. He says, look, I pumped millions of dollars of dark money into these packs that benefited not only Democrats and Republicans. You would think Republicans would want to grab this guy up on the hill and start cross-examining him, but first have him arrested. It's not happening yet. And instead, he lectured at the New York Times. And before he lectured at the New York Times about how, woe is me, I'm innocent, I'm a victim, I had no idea what happened to the $32 billion, this little mama Luke, Sam Bankman-Fried, he sat down with an exclusive interview with ABC, Stephanopoulos, who asked him, are you Bernie Madoff? A lot of people look at you and see Bernie Madoff. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's who I am at, at all, but I understand why they're saying that. People lost money, and people lost a lot of money. And, I mean, at the end of the day, look, there's a question of what happened and why and who did what, um, what caused the, the meltdown. And... I think that is reads very differently, right? When you when you look at the classic Bernie Madoff story, there was no real business there. The whole thing, as I understand it, I think, was 
was just one one big Ponzi scheme, right? FTX, that was a real business. <laughs> yeah, it gave the investors the business. Man, look at him. You talk about pivot and shift. You talk about a flip-flop. Oh, I'm not Bernie Madoff. You're worse than Bernie Madoff. But anyway, Stephanopoulos of ABC News continues and says, you know, you switched funds out of FTX, the Bitcoin business, into a sister company you own, Alameda Research, illegally. You did it. You didn't have the right to do it. One of the reasons FTX went bankrupt is because FTX deposits were used to pay Alameda's creditors. Carolyn Ellison said you knew about that. Is that true? You know, best I can tell, uh, Alameda did have a big position open on on FTX. Um, That position, uh, I think, was you know, very over-collateralized uh, a year ago. There is a, a total market collapse and, sp- you know, specifically a large correlated collapse in its assets, you know, over the last month and to some extent over the last year that, uh, you know, threatened that position quite a bit. And I think that's, you know, as best I can understand, a lot of what happened there. What a down, what a Pinocchio. So finally, Stephanopoulos says, you know, knock off all the bull feathers, right? The... Uh pivot and shift and flip-flop. Did you move money? Did you move dollars? Did you move euros? I, I am no cryptocurrency expert. I'm no finance expert. Yep. But I don't think you answered my question. I always ask you, yep. did you know that FTX deposits were used to pay off Alameda creditors? Pause, pause, pause. Uh, hmm. I don't know of FTX ah. deposits being used to pay off Alameda creditors. Are you, uh, which, which creditors are you referring to? Carolyn Ellison said that you all knew that these funds were used, were put into Alameda. They were the funds owned by your depositors. So I can't speak for who knew what. You know, a lot of the customers on FTX did have, you know, borrowers either, you know, in dollars or Bitcoin or, or euros. Yeah. And imagine you're offshore. Who would invest money in an offshore establishment? I mean, think of it. They got their exchange block, right? Their blockchain. And they're telling you, oh, we've got your money. We've got your SAM coins, a.k.a. scam coins. They're in our exchange. You know, it's like we're holding your safety deposit box. It's not in your bank. It's in our bank offshore in the Bahamas. We're going to give you a PIN number. So because you're a miser and you want to see it every day and you want to reach out and feel it and touch it virtually, you could do that. It's probably for you better than sex. You can do that. Here's your PIN number. And then if all of a sudden you lost your PIN number, like how many times do you lose a PIN number during the course of a day, right? And you have to immediately get on your iPhone or your smartphone and punch it in. I need my PIN number. And then they send it right back and you got to get it or they'll wipe it out. Tough noogies. FTX and all these other exchanges tell you, tough noogies. It's ours. Ha <laughs> ha. Come get it. See if you, you can't touch us. And then Stephanopoulos asked, boy wonder, Sam Bankman Freed. You know, you're going to jail for a long, long, long time and watch him stumble and fumble. Here's what Mark Cuban has to say about that. Yep. He said, if I were him, I'd be afraid of going to jail for a long time. 
at the end of the day, you know, it's not my call what happens, and uh, the world will judge me as it will. Are you worried about going to jail? There are a lot of things that are worrying me right now. Um, and, you know, as best as possible, I'm trying to focus on what I can do going forward to be helpful and, you know, let whatever, you know, regulatory and legal processes are happening play out as they will. Yeah, just by yourself, uh, spot in camp fed. You know, like all the white-collar criminals go to, uh, send them to Atlanta. Send them to the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary or Marion in Illinois, some real dive. But you first got to extradite him, right? Extradite him. Why hasn't anybody done that? He gave an interview, right? He's giving himself up. He's indicting himself with Stephanopoulos. He indicted himself with the interview at Lincoln Center this past week, although he was doing it from Zoom from the Bahamas. You would think, right, they would extradite him. Nope. And the chutzpah, could you believe this, that Stephanopoulos used the statements of, who was that, Mark Cuban, owner-operator of the Dallas Mavericks, plus he's always on Shark Tank, you know, investing, 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 right? He thinks he's, he's so slick. Stephanopoulos didn't mention that Mark Cuban is subject of a class action suit related to the bankruptcy of crypto lender Voyager Digital, which he had promoted in a partnership signed in October 2021 with the Dallas Mavericks, in which he was encouraging people to buy as many Bitcoins as they could. And he was talking about educating children in the schools on this as the coming wave of fiscal the fiscal economy and digital programs. Yeah, we're going to create a brand new generation of white-collar criminals in our public school system. They can't read. They can't write. They can't do arithmetic. They don't know respect. But Mark Cuban wants to teach them how to become white-collar criminals. How dumb is that? Did Stephanopoulos mention Mark Cuban? Of course not. He's being sued for ripping people off, for making them, or you don't make them, but with his celebrity status, with the thought that he's a successful billionaire and he's one of the lead players on Shark Tank, oh, this guy knows, this guy knows. People lost millions. And we want to know how much did he get paid? How much did he get paid by Voyager Digital like Kim Kardashian? You can go right on down the list. I mean, there are so many. Oh, oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Curb your enthusiasm. Larry David. Right? Hey, Larry, good job, right? You took millions. Tom Brady and his uh, former wife, they took millions. And they're all part of a class action suit. And there needs to be more lawsuits. And then finally, Stephanopoulos asked, and again, ever trust anybody with three names, Sam Bankman Freed, the crypto criminal with his Sam coins that are now scam coins, he asked you, how come you didn't manage this risk, which is what every CEO or COO or CFO of a major multi-million dollar corporation is supposed to be doing? Now you said one of your great it's, talents in a podcast was managing risk. That's right. And that's so obviously wrong. Well, I, it's, I think that there is something maybe even deeper wrong there, which was I wasn't even trying. Like, I wasn't spending any time or effort trying to manage risk on FTX, trying, like, 
And that, that obviously, that's that a stunning a admission. What? That's a pretty stunning admission. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know what to say. Like, what happened happened. And like, if I had been, if I had been spending an hour a day thinking about risk management on FTX, I don't think that would have happened. I think I, I stopped working as hard for a bit. You know, honestly, if I look back on myself, I think I got a little cocky. Maybe more than a little bit. Um, and I think part of me, like, you know, felt like, um, like we'd made it. You're a crypto criminal. You need to lock them up. On a day where the headlines say crypto stocks teeter near the abyss, as there is a warning that the entire industry will implode. Now, with all this taking place, think about this. All this is taking place on an international theater. We have the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, now the soccer man with no plan, who decided to uh, head off to Qatar. He refuses to tell you uh, how he's going to pay for most of this trip, how he's going to house his sickle fans, toadies, and lackeys who uh, have come with him, saying it's on his dime, you know, hey, you know, his dime, right? But you would have thought that he would have paused and said, you know, I've been the leader of encouraging the crypto Ponzi scammers to house their businesses in New York. I've been urging no transparency. I've been talking about teaching our children cryptocurrency. Uh, Boy, that would be a mistake. I've uh, talked about how people need to invest in Bitcoins, how in the future uh, that civil servants should be paid in Bitcoins, that you should be able to get a slice in a Coke with a slice of a Bitcoin. I've been right on out there with only one other person in America who's been on that bully pulpit like me. And that's the Republican mayor of Miami, Suarez, who himself wants to house the crooked crypto industry. Now, again, look at where they're operating offshore. The Bahamas, FTX. And then they have these cryptocurrency uh, pirates uh, in a portion of Puerto Rico in which it's a tax shelter. And they're protected from investigation. They're out there. So listen to Eric Adams, double down, triple down about how he is a big-time supporter of Bitcoin, and I'll explain why. I believe in the new markets and the new currencies, and I'm encouraging my young people to learn about them. We had a a crypto summit um, that was uh, partnered with the owners of um, the New York Nets, uh, where we brought young people in to learn about these industries. These industries are not going to go away because they reach low points. This is an industry that we must embrace. And I'm looking to further leaning into uh, blockchain and other technologies. Yes, my, my money's already there. I took my first three paychecks. Yeah, his first three paychecks in Bitcoin. So he gets paid every two weeks. So the first six weeks, three paychecks uh, were in Bitcoin. Notice he hasn't taken any Bitcoin since it's imploded. And yet he continues to be a promoter of a criminal enterprise, cryptocurrency, Ponzi scammers, Bitcoin uh, bandits, and blockchain criminals, along with Suarez. In fact, when it gets to Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, he lives by one mantra, one mantra alone. It has nothing to do with us and we. It's all about I and me. Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. 
That's what it's all about for so many of these politicians, Democrats and Republicans who are protecting the cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers, the Bitcoin bandits, the blockchain criminals, because they've been wine-dined and pocket-lined by them. There's a very good chance that Eric Adams has not paid for his trip to Qatar and back and for his entourage, but the cryptocurrency Ponzi scammer named Brock Pierce. I know him well. I've had many meetings with him. He bamboozled me early on in the process. You know, he's like any any kind of a, a sharp salesperson. You know, he, he speaks uh, in a way like it's futuristic, and yet he is part of so many of these crypto colonizers who established themselves in Puerto Rico, the Commonwealth, for the tax shelter and to operate their business offshore. And just to give you an idea, they had this uh, annual conference, Somos, for the Democrats right after the midterm election in Puerto Rico, San Juan. And who was there? Brock Pierce, lobbying all of them, whining, dining, and pocket-lining all of them. And then when he was confronted, he said, don't call me a lobbyist, call me an educator. ha, 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 ha. The mayor has hitched many rides on his private jet before, I guarantee you. He's probably hitched a ride on his jet now, and you say to yourself, when you look at this, and few, if any, people are talking about this in radio, and they shouldn't. They should be talking 24-7-365. You got to feel soiled. You got to feel like you got to take a shower. We've seen this happen so many times before. But we got to give credit where credit is due. Some of the financial titans out there early on warned everybody to stay away from the crypto Ponzi Ponzi schemers, the Bitcoin bandits, and the blockchain criminals. First and foremost, there was the sage of Omaha, Warren Buffett, said, stay away. You need to have cash in your hand. Cash money rules the world. Then at that time, President Donald Trump said exactly the same. He says, I like to feel the paper, feel it, touch it. No, it's in my hands. I don't believe in that nonsense. And our own John Katsimatis, owner and operator, uh, a fabulously wealthy and successful businessman in his own right, said here many times on WABC, especially in the roundtable discussion at five, as this issue now is coming up more and more. You got to it's got to be paper. It's got to be good old fashioned money, man. How, How can you trust? How can you trust investing in offshore Business operations where if they fold tomorrow, you get bupkis, you get ugats. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The founder of the Guardian Angels. The group dedicated to fight crime. On the streets of New York and on the air right now. Curtis Lewa on 77 WABC. Is it too late now to say sorry? Too late, too late, Sam Bankman Freed to say you're sorry. That's Justin Bieber, Viber, whatever. Goes up to me, I deport Justin Bieber, Viber, whatever to Canada. Oh man, I hate this guy, but the song is pertinent. You can't say you're sorry enough, Sam Bankman Freed. You. And your posse of white-collar criminals from MIT. You, you all think we're so stupid. We don't know that you robbed us just like a kid walks up in an ATM in a vestibule as I take some money out of the ATM. 
Let's use as an example a black kid puts a bar of Irish soap in my back, robs me. He gets grabbed. If it ain't in Manhattan, he might actually do some time. If it's in Alvin Bragg land, forget about it. He's turned loose to do it again and again. You got to be just as vigilant against white-collar criminals, which we as a society are not, as you are against street thugs. I'll never forget Michael Baricic, Rudy Giuliani, U.S. Attorney for the Southern District, busted Ivan Bosky. Oh, yeah. Uh, for junk bonds. Took him out in chains and shackles, and everybody would say, you can't do that. Then he did it to Michael Milken. You can't take him out in chains and shackles. You know, they have dignity. No, they don't. They're crooks. Now, my expertise is not white-collar crime. Unfortunately, there aren't enough people pursuing it. As you know, my expertise is as 44 years the leader of the Guardian Angels here in New York City and in 13 countries and 130 cities around the world. And I direct you to an article that is posted on the New York uh, Post website. Guardian Angels pounce on New York City subway rider hitting an elderly passenger. And this is happening more and more. Let me just take you through a litany of crimes. It's just one of many. One of so many in uh, Fear City. A city where people are afraid to take the subways, especially women. And I'll explain why. And if women continue to be fearful of getting down into the veins and arteries of our city, using that to take them from place to place, you're not going to fill up these office buildings that are only 50% full on a workday. You're not going to be able to uh, get uh, so many people into restaurants and bars because women now are the number one, uh, number one actual uh, customers of restaurants and bars in New York City. And without women being given and comped to come into nightlife locations, the first 50 come in for free, you ain't getting the guys unless guys are there to meet guys, and that's only 10% of the population. And they need to use the subway. So just in terms of our Guardian Angel patrols yesterday on Saturday, uh, I want to take you up to the Bronx, which out of uh, out of all the boroughs, is the most crime-infested, 24-7-365, especially in the subways. So a guardian angel patrol, three guys, that's all you use for a subway patrol, one in the back, one in the front car, one in the middle, walking up and down, something the NYPD does not do. They just uh, position themselves on the platforms. Big mistake. You've got to be on the trains. You've got to be walking up and down because that's where the action is. First stop was 138th on the number four train as it was leaving 125th Street and heading uptown on the four line. They see a guy as they're walking through the cars. There is a guy holding a baby, screaming, ranting, railing at a woman who's sitting opposite him on the opposite side of the subway car. He doesn't, she doesn't know him. She never saw him before in her life. And he is screaming how he's going to smash her skull into the wall, how he's going to kill her, rape her. And luckily, the three guardian angels were there. You had Big Tommy, Super, and Popeye. And they got in between him and her. They escorted her to a different car and calmed him down. Now, imagine, it's a difficult situation. He's holding a baby, this emotionally disturbed guy. It's his baby. And so they rode with him, couldn't find any cops. And so eventually uh, he exited, and the guardian angels 
continue their patrol. Now they're on the D train line at 161st. And first stop, 167th Street, as they're going uptown towards Kingsbridge. And they're walking through the cars. And remember, you got to jump from car to car on the D train. Some of the trains, the doors do not open up from car to car, depending on what line you're on. So they've just jumped to a car, and they see a middle-aged man and a woman screaming at an elderly woman about 78 years old, a Hispanic woman. And then they start slapping her over and over and over. The guardian angels run in there. Naturally, the other passengers, they just, they want to just film it. They want to put it live on five. You know, they don't want to physically intervene, especially the guys. What happened to all the men? Oh, I just want to film it. I don't want to physically get involved. So they slam the guy and the gal who's beating up the elderly woman. Uh, The conductor calls for police backup. It wasn't the transit police. It was the cops from the 4-4 precinct. They bring the guy in. They write him up, and they give him a disappearance ticket, a desk appearance ticket. Meantime, you look at this elderly woman. She's traumatized. She's never taken the subway again. She's She's got marks all over her face from being slapped around by this guy and this gal. And then previously, the night before, you have a guy, he's 40 years old. He works at Bloomingdale's. He goes up to the Bronx each and every night after his shift up to Westchester Square on the 6th train. As the train pulls into 125th Street, he's just sitting. And this emotionally disturbed guy starts beating the hell out of him, beating the hell out of him. Eric Martinez. Eric gets up. He's bleeding. He's got a broken nose. He needs stitches. The guy is just sitting there. And Eric flees to a forward car. Eventually, the sixth train pulls into Hunts Point, and there are cops on the platform, and the conductor summons them on, holds the uh, train there, and they follow Eric towards the rear. And the guy is sitting there. He's just sitting there. And they say, hey, you hit this guy? And he goes, yeah, so what? I'll hit him again. If you weren't here, I'd hit him again. So they take him out, right, cuff him. Bring him to uh, Bronx Criminal Court for arraignment. It turns out he's been busted eight previous times. He's supposed to be in court in January for an armed robbery. What the hell is he doing out? And there's a very good chance I'm going to find out between shows because, remember, I'm back. I'm back from 9 to 11 before the animal welfare hour from 11 to 12. And, by the way, has anybody heard from Frank Morano? He's missing in action. I have no idea. So if Frank Morano doesn't show up, Then after Dominic Carter, I'm going to have to take you from 1 to 4 in the morning. I don't mind. I'll just eat up his real estate. But I am going to find out what happened to this enemy of society, this menace, menacing figure who broke this guy's nose. He had to get seven stitches. And I'm guaranteeing you it's the Bronx. They probably released him on his own recognizance and said, oh, he's under supervised release. There is no such thing. As supervised release. None. one 800 Let's go to Chris calling from the Irish Riviera. No, excuse me, the Irish Alps. Or the uh, Jewish Himalayas uh, up in the Catskills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. See, Chris is having a little conversation in the rear there. Say hello. Few curse words there. They're playing a card game. Man, you see degenerate gamblers. You see, he's he's playing a card game. He's probably in the basement. He just lost some money. He dropped the S bomb. 
And you put him back up. Let's see if Chris has returned to the radio. We'll, we'll, we'll eavesdrop in on him. Hey, Chris, how much did you lose? Come on, Chris. Time to, time to get up, walk away from the card table. You just lost a load of money. We heard you dropped the S-bomb, right? Come on. You're playing blackjack there with your buds. In the meantime, you're thinking you can multitask. You can play blackjack. You're losing your money, and then you're going to talk with me. No, 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 no. You need to have your complete focus, Chris, on this phone call, no matter how long you had to wait. There's a whole bunch of people here waiting. You know, Chris, I hope you lose everything. And I hope that your friends extend you credit, and then you got to pay a fee. You know, this is an insult to anybody in talk radio. Two things that are an insult. Falling asleep on the host to hostess, and that's happened to me plenty of times. In fact, Chris Libertini, the imaging guy here, has turned in around into a promo to insult me, to berate me. And then to do what Chris is doing, degenerate gambling, sitting with your buds at the card table playing blackjack, you just lost a load, you're cursed, and you don't, you're not even man enough to come to the telephone now, right? Because you're humiliated. You dare. Yeah, I think we're going to do, and we're going to do a big bit on gambling tonight also, uh, in honor of the missing in action Frank Morano, a degenerate gambler, and a number of other young guys here into sports betting. You know, yeah, yeah. They're going to lose, they're going to lose their money. Like the rest of you. Let's go to Sammy and Howard Peach. Speaking about people losing their money in sports betting operations in wire rooms, your turn to be heard here on WABC, Sammy. What's going on? First of all, I, I just hope that Bob Astorino was not a squatter, that you're back 4 o'clock on Saturdays. Oh, no, 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 no. Look, uh, you got to understand, Sammy, I do so many hours here. As you know, at times it's uh, always broadcasting, Curtis. We got we to gotta carve out a little time so that other guys and gals can make their bones in talk radio. Uh, you know, there's only so many hours that you want to have from me, but I know that there are some people who are saying it should be all Curtis all the time, right, Sammy? That's correct. Yeah, I, lo- I love the real estate that, that Curtis owns, and I was hoping that, Yesterday was just an aberration, but I guess not. <laughs> Secondly, well-deserved ink in in the post on um, what the Guardian Angels did yesterday. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is they don't seem to give the readers enough of that. I mean, what you guys actually do out there. Well, I got to tell you, oftentimes we do a lot of things every day as volunteers and there are a number of people along the way who don't want to give us uh, credit. I understand that. We don't do it for the credit. Like for uh, today, like today, uh, one of the lead stories is the missing in action NYPD commissioner crows on Twitter about gang, a, a gang and gun bust in Brooklyn. It's sort of like, lady, that's your job. job. Do your freaking job. You don't have to tweet about it. If, if you clean up the city... Uh, while the mayor's away, you know, the cat's away, the mice will play because he's not focused on crime. Just do your freaking job. And that's what we do each and every day as volunteers. And we've been doing it, Sammy, for 44 years, whether we get recognized or not. For instance, there's another situation. Too bad we weren't there. I had a patrol that got there afterwards, about a half hour afterwards. The police were there doing their job. But a, a guy got slashed during a robbery on the subway platform, and this is happening on a regular basis. This was in Queens on the F train, Kew Gardens, 
at 6 o'clock in the morning. We're not talking, you know, at 3 in the morning. We're talking when people are up and at them. They either got to go to church, they got to go to work, they're going to shoe, whatever they're doing. It's happening nonstop. And I got to tell you, for many of you, I remember when I was in the campaign to be mayor, you said to me, oh, Curtis, I like you, but, you know, Eric Adams, 22 years a cop. He, he knows law and order. He knows Ugats. He knows Bupkis. 22 years, he was a what they call a house mouse in the precinct, not busting his shoes. He's not street smart. He is not street smart at all. And, in fact, in many ways, he's intellectually stupid. He's not a dumb guy. But he is intellectually stupid. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Selected law enforcement official in New York State, friend of all criminals. If you've done uh, no time, she's your pal because she doesn't really want to enforce the law. Tish James, Attorney General, favorite of the Working Families Party, which, uh, hey, hello, turn it down. Let's pay attention here. You know, I'm doing a radio show. That's why I'm number two at WABC, right behind Sid Rosenberg. Because I don't waste a second. So Tish James, Attorney General of the state of New York, has eyes only in prosecuting Trump. Donald Trump, the former president. Trump businesses, the family of Trump. That's all she wants to do. And now it turns out that her opponent, a really stand-up guy, Republican, that she refused to debate, Queen's Attorney Michael Henry. Really good guy. She refused to debate him, and now I think we know why, because her chief of staff, it's been his, her chief of staff since she was a public advocate of the city of New York, which is a no-show job. You become public advocate, you do nothing, like Comrade Bill de Blasio, part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, or before him, Mark Green, and your sole purpose in being public advocate is to use the tax dollars to run for higher office, which he did. But she's always been a member of the Working Families Party, first and foremost, before being a Democrat, because that's how she got into city council. She didn't win as a Democrat. She won as a member of the Working Families Party. And their credo is defund the police, defund prison, prisons, and support criminals and bash cops. That's, that's the Working Families Party. Uh, you just look at their manifesto. And she upholds that. Now, she went after uh, Andrew Evilized Cuomo, and I get that for a lot of reasons. It's good that he uh, resigned. He's out of there. I mean, he was corruption central. C for Cuomo is C for corruption. 
Andrew Ivalais Como, King Como the second, the son of Mario Facha Brota Como, King Como the first. He had to exit stage left because he was a perv. Ended up perving about 12 of the very women that worked with him in different capacities as governor of the state of New York. Now it turns out that Tish James shielded her male chief of staff who lived in Queens himself, who had been her campaign manager when she ran for public advocate, who had been her campaign manager when she ran for attorney general of the state, chief of staff as public advocate, chief of staff as attorney general, and it turns out he's been perving women. She knew all about it. She didn't want this information to get out before the election. That's why she didn't debate Michael Henry. We now know, because that probably would have come out, and everybody would have said, wait, what a sanctimonious hypocrite you are. Do as I say, not as I do. You attack Cuomo. Hey, got no problem with that. <laughs> he deserves all the attacks he could get for so many issues. But then you shield your chief of staff who was doing exactly what Andrew Evilized Cuomo was doing. And you see, that's the problem with a lot of males in government. They need to take saltpeter in the morning. You see, saltpeter will calm them down. You know, they'll, instead of being uh, turgid, they'll be flaccid. Hey, it worked for guys in prison. It worked for guys in the military. Uh, they just, their libido was out of control. But man... Michael Henry was denied. It's, it's sort of like the same debate that goes about the laptop of Hunter Biden that we're now heavily involved in because Elon Musk is allowing the threads to be dropped, the tweets that came out of uh, Twitter that were actually protecting uh, Joe Biden's candidacy and not allowing any threads from the New York Post stories that had been provided to them by the laptops that our own Rudy Giuliani. Michael Mbaricic had gotten from the fix-it shop outside of Wilmington, Delaware, along with his very dear friend, Bernard Carrick. They were told to bring it to the U.S. Attorney's Office in, uh, in Pittsburgh. They did that. They brought it to the Delaware State Police. They did that. They brought it to the local police. They did that. They brought it to the FBI. They did that. The New York Post was the only ones who printed the story, and Twitter kiboshed it. And apparently, a corporation counsel for Twitter gave as the rationale to squash this story and not allow Twitter to tweet it out to the world is because it was hacked material, probably part of a Russian disinformation plot, the same reason that was given by 50 former men and women who were part of the National Security Agency at different levels who signed a letter that said, oh, oh, that laptop, it's all Russian disinformation. All of that has come to the uh, forefront. New York Times now admits it's real 18 months later. Washington Post real 18 months later. CBS News 18 months later. And I have advocated to our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, that I think we can really take advantage of this. I think Elon Musk would actually tweet out, if we had a debate in our film room, our green room, that was both uh, videotaped and obviously the audio live on radio, a debate between two of the guys who broadcast exclusively here at WABC who have both been involved in controversy surrounding laptops. You have um, Anthony Weiner. That's my partner on Saturdays. Uh, that's left versus right, three to four. Before that, it's uh, Anthony Weiner in the middle, two to three. If you've missed any of those broadcasts, just go to WABCradio.com for all your podcasting needs. 
But we should have a debate. It should be Anthony Weiner in defense of his laptop that became the principal for James Comey to suggest that Hillary Rodham Clinton was tainted, but he wasn't going to indict her because of the emails that were sent to her, excuse me, her emails that were sent to Huma, her chief of staff, previously Anthony Weiner's wife, on Anthony's laptop. So he knows all about that, and nobody knows that subject better than our own Rudy Giuliani, who was able to get into the hard drive and release all that material that only the New York Post and only them put out for public consumption, and Twitter said no, a thousand times no. And now with Elon Musk, he's opening up all those threats. Free speech survives. Wouldn't it be great if we can have a real debate between Rudy Giuliani on that subject and Anthony Weiner, who disagree on this, but are principles in the whole issue of privacy, laptops, what you have posted, what you receive, how it affects national security, all those issues that are so critical to the survival survival of our nation and also free speech, the rights of free speech. And I'm suggesting that we have that debate. It's filmed. It's live. Because both these guys have gone through it, and we have the best moderator ever to exist locally in television and now in radio here at WABC, Dominic Carter. He has moderated many of the debates, many of the debates that have involved Hillary in the past, presidential campaigns, Senate campaigns, mayoral campaigns. Boy, that would, I guarantee you, Elon Musk would probably tweet it out to every Twitterer uh, who receives messages around the world. And this way, everybody would receive their due. Anthony Weiner would finally be able to get his story out to the world. Rudy Giuliani would be able to get his story out. We'd all learn about the New York Post story that was suppressed. And a lot of people could kick themselves in their tuchus and say, gee, if I had only known this, maybe, just maybe, votes would have went in the direction of Donald Trump and not Joe Biden. We can only think. Anyway, let's go to Mike in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Yes, Mike. Yes, I, I worked for the subway system for 35 years, and my father was one of the original transit police officers, 1965 to 1986. And I remember when I was a kid in the early 80s, he would tell me how wonderful the guardian angels were. Now, I know that a lot of the cops would give you a hard time back then, but I just want you to know that my father loved you. He used to have to ride the trains on a midnight shift by himself as a police officer, and he said the guardian angels, they're doing a great thing. He felt safe. He was by himself. Yeah, Mike, Mike, uh, Mike, I I must tell you that uh, although there were a fair share of transit police officers— who uh, definitely gave me a wooden shampoo, and I ended up getting locked up about 77 times as a result of the harassment. There were many others, like your dad, who were very supportive, who always had our back. You know, I'm thinking more and more, swagger man with no plan now, the soccer man with no plan, Eric Adams, when it comes to crime in the streets, the subways and parks. There may be a, a nice Christmas gift to all of you, wherever you are, whether you live in the city, whether you work in the city, whether you visit the city, or you look at our city, New York City, from afar, and you see how it is disintegrating. And maybe what I'll do is I'll assign all the guardian angels that I have in New York City, 300, 
to daily and nightly subway patrols, uh, three together. And we would do what the transit police, uh, unfortunately, are not doing, and that is actually patrolling in the moving trains. Uh, patrolling from the last car, which is usually the most problematic of the cars in a subway line, through the middle to the front, so that people know if there's a problem, they'll be able to go directly to the guardian angels, or we'll see it in advance and intervene, because the cops are not doing that. And this way, we give a gift to provide public safety to the subways, which are the veins and arteries of this city, to assist the transit police, the men and women, who really want to do the job, but they're being handcuffed, by those who are elected and appointed and by DAs who just won't let them enforce the law. I think I think we'll do that come Christmas. Anyway, I'll be back with all of you 9 o'clock tonight. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.